Welcome to an exclusive episode of the Astrid and You podcast, hosted by myself, Connie Nam, founder and CEO of your favorite jewelry brand, Astrid and Miu. We are not just a jewelry brand, we are a movement. We are here to empower everyone. Today, we're sharing a special one-off episode to celebrate and delve deeper into the behind the scenes of our exclusive new partnership with vintage jewelry curator, Susan Kaplan. Susan is someone I've admired in the industry for years, and this collaboration is a real dream come true for me. Our ethos around sustainability and running responsible brands are so aligned, and Susan is such an inspiring and vibrant person to be around. I am super excited to share our conversation with you. You'll be able to gain insight into Susan's life, her brand, and this collaboration. Hi, Susan. Hi, Connie. Thank you so much for coming all the way to Wandsworth, to my place. Well, it's a pleasure and thank you for inviting me. (laughs) I'm so excited about this podcast today. Me too. I'm excited about everything. Yeah, yeah. So how are you? I'm good. I've just come back from Toronto, so I'm Mm -hmm. a little bit jet lagged, but I'm excited to be here and I'm glad to be back home territory. Yeah. And welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so excited to be speaking to you because obviously like your brand, Susan Kaplan is so well known. I'm, I'm sure like all of our listeners know who you are. However, like when we do research, there's not a lot about you. I don't, I feel like you don't really talk about yourself. Well, um, I, I'm not sure why I don't talk about myself. I think I'm a person that sort of likes to keep a low profile. Mm. Um, I love my brand. I'm so passionate about it. I love what I do. I've done it for so many decades now. Um, I'm surprised to hear there's not too much about me. I have to change that. Yeah, yeah. So today I'm, I want to change that. I'm going to delve in deep into you, like about everything. I'm, I'm going to be super nosy because I'm a nosy person. So like, firstly, tell me about your childhood and your upbringing. Okay, I will tell you. And first of all, I'm an open book. So I will be open to you about everything. Amazing. My childhood was a very happy childhood. I loved where I was brought up. I was brought up in the suburbs of London, a place called Stanmore. Uh, How many siblings did you have? I have one sibling. She's older than me. We used to fight like... Cat and mouse. What do you fight <laughs> like? That, cat that's and mouse. Like, that's like that's like my my girls. They fight all the time, but then they're best friends. Absolutely, that's exactly what happens. And now we're as close as anything. And she'll do anything for me, my sister, yeah. and I would do anything for her. Oh, that's so good. Um, I've got a younger sister, and she's my best friend. And she's probably like the only person, except for my husband, who I can be completely open with about everything. It's is, so nice to have a sister, isn't it? It is wonderful to have a sister. Yeah. I sort of um. You know, I, I feel very grateful that I've got a, sibling, a sister and actually I very, feel very grateful that I have got three girls, three daughters, mm. grown up daughters who get on fantastically, who are great support to me, yeah. who mother me like anything now. <laughs> and, you know, if, if I'm wearing something that's not appropriate, mum, you can't wear that. And but I um, love that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're yeah. fantastic girls. I yeah, adore yeah. them, obviously. And I am where I am today, probably because they've helped me along the way. Oh, that's amazing. Tell me more about your daughters because I know that you you were also a single mother. I was a sing- I am yes. a single mother yeah. after um I've been a single mother oh, I think about 22 years. My youngest was 9. Um Louisa was 9. Rephrase. Louisa was 13 when my husband decided to go off and I was obviously very devastated at that stage. I, I got terribly depressed. Rock, so sorry rock bottom. to hear that. 
And um, thank you. And and after a sort of like maybe six months, a year, I was able to pull myself out of my deep, deep depression. I had to go on. It was either sink or swim. And I swam and I had started the business. It was not branded then at all. Um, I had, you know, I had always done buying and selling from an early age anyway. Um, and actually it was the really sort of delving into my business and really putting everything into buying and selling. Yeah. And particularly then sort of specialising in the jewellery that actually really got me through everything oh, together wow. with so my daughters. Oh, wow. So that actually became a catalyst for 100%, Susan Kaplan. That's an absolute amazing. catalyst. It wasn't branded then, as I say, yeah. not until 2008. But um, but years back, I um, when I was left on my own and dealing with the children and dealing with all their emotional um, turmoil, my, my business also was my saviour. So I went from strength to strength. And then when we set it up in 2008, it just, just you know, opened up so many more avenues, so many more um, retailers wanted to know and do, you know, for us to supply them. And it was quite, quite astonishing because then vintage has always been fashion. Vintage is fashion, but it had a different connotation then. Mm. It wasn't the connotation to be, you know, sustainable. You wouldn't yeah. buy vintage because you wanted to be sustainable. You yeah. bought vintage because it was something different. It was mm. unusual. Um, and then obviously everything has changed through till now. Yeah. Yeah. And tell, tell me about how you juggled between motherhood, single motherhood and running a business and really like um, making it as successful as, as I, it is. When I look back and think how I jug, I actually think to myself, how did I do that? I actually am flabbergasted because I was there for my children always. I didn't want to, they were my um, sole reason for continuing life because I really did go into the depths of depression. Um, and obviously my business kept me going, but I, I, I just juggled. I think I've always been able to manage a few things at once, one time. I have always been a hard worker. Um, and I've always had a drive in me. I've always been driven by whatever is, you know, surrounding me. And, and yes, they kept me going. I just was, a, I had to go on. There was no other way, you know, because if you don't go on, you don't survive. Something like that, a traumatic divorce, because it yeah, was. Absolutely. And did you have a support network around you? I did had all family? my friends. Yeah. I had all my wonderful friends and wonderful family. And they also got me through it mm. very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And can you, can we t talk more about the depression? Because I know like mental health is such a huge topic right now, but I'd imagine like, you know, back then 20 years ago, people didn't really talk about it, right? It was dreadful then because my daughter, Louisa, um, she became very depressed. So I had to deal with that. Mm. Dealing with their emotional, um, well-being was, was probably the hardest thing. So she became very, very depressed. And um, then eventually she got on the right road, right medication. Yeah. <clears throat> medication is vital in, in cases, you know, when someone is so depressed. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. nothing can help except a good therapist and medicating. Yeah. She's actually now the CEO of um, a very big charity called Beyond. Mm. And she does a lot of good mental health work. Yeah. And you were going through your own mental health Absolutely. issues at that time. Absolutely. Right? How did you how did you manage that? Like managing your mental health issues and your daughters as well? I think that I uh, for a while I was deeply depressed and I couldn't do anything. So I think at that stage, and that was probably before 
their depression set in, I was going through my own. So I remember I wasn't um, able to get out of bed for months. And then I w- was put on medication. So that was a transitional period yeah. for me. So then I became far more um, back to my old self mm. and actually even, let's say, I won't say better than my old self. I became a real person before yeah. I wasn't me, mm. but I learned through everything. I became more of, um, I, I, I became stronger and I felt more empowered and I felt, you know, I have to get on and I changed, mm. you know, I changed to being myself. Yeah. That's really good. Which to I, I think I'd lost myself in my marriage. Oh, but I, I don't want to dwell too much on my marriage because I've got most wonderful children from it. And I don't regret my life. I don't regret anything about my life and what happened and all the bad, sad things. I lost my father when I was 24 and he meant everything to me. And there's rarely a day that goes by that I don't speak about. I don't think about my father. Oh, so was he a big inspiration to you? What, what, what did he do? Well, he wasn't, he wasn't, he was a businessman. So he wasn't, um, um, he was a big inspiration to me because he was this strong character and he had, he had survived the war. He had survived his, um, a, um, a direct bomb on their house in the 1940s. Oh my goodness. In his parents' home, it's, um, it's a, an iconic scene in the, um, Imperial War Museum, and it's often spoken about, and it's all the war, in all the war books. And unfortunately, there was a direct bomb into the onto their house where he lost his father, his brother, and his sister, and he was buried under rubble for more than twelve hours. Oh my goodness! So, and he he uh, he was sixteen. He obviously survived all that and survived the, the deaths of his loved ones, but he never ever spoke about it. He never wanted to speak about it. Wow. But I always looked up to him because he, he was always my rock. He was always there. He was yeah. loving. And, and, um, and then he died suddenly in front of me. Um, he had a massive angina attack. And actually he had it in a flat I had just bought in London at the age of 24. I'd saved up for it because I'd been prior to that, been working on the QE2 for two, three, four years um, between about 20 and 24 What, what's QE2, by Ooh, the way? Oh, sorry. The Queen Elizabeth II was the world's oh, okay. top ocean liner yeah. in the 80s. Got it, got so it. So I worked on there because prior to doing all this, or prior to doing my, my antique dealing and vintage jewelry, yeah. I was a beauty therapist. Mm. And even though I was a beauty therapist, I would still go around markets and charity shops yeah, and yeah. car boots buying Yeah, I love that. I love that. So it was your passion. It was my passion yeah. because it was... My upbringing, yeah, because our family home was full of antiques, yeah, plus modern of the time, the contemporary of the fifties, the Charles Eames, the yeah, Hillet furniture, that. yeah. Um, so I was working on board the ships, traveling the world. I was able to re, I was able to save a lot of money. We got the most amazing tips. I was doing massages on people like Rock Hudson. You might be too young for Rock Hudson. Do you know Rock Hudson? No, no, he's no, one I don't of the world's <laughs> top actors. Elaine Stritch, you won't know of these people. Charles Jordan. Yeah, I also didn't grow up in this country, so. No, okay. Yeah. Is he English and American? He's English. Um, 
Cheryl Ladd. Anyone heard of Cheryl Ladd? No. Okay, fine. Well, they're all all iconic celebrities, mm. actors. Yeah, They've done, yeah, yeah. You know. And um, anyway, so when I and so I got the most enormous tips. I yeah. was able to save money, and I got my. I bought it all myself. My first flat at twenty four, oh, and wow. the flat that I bought, the previous owner had dropped down dead in the flat of an angina attack. My, oh my father goodness. on that morning was coming up to the, was walking up the steps to the flat. He was going to do some woodwork for me. He was wonderful at making things. Mm. He was going to do some woodwork. He dropped down dead of an angina attack in the flat. And, oh my and, and things like that. I'm so, um, not, I, I, it's fate. I'm a, I'm a fatalist. I mm. believe in fate. I believe everything is meant to be. Yeah. There's a reason for everything. So that's, um, so that's why I was, I think I was talking about the Q2 because I was able to raise the money to buy the yeah, flat. Yeah. And so I lost my father at a very young age. So I've had a lot of heartache, but out of it, I, I'm a very happy person. Yeah, I, I yeah. feel very Sometimes blessed. Sometimes it makes you stronger and as a result, happier, doesn't it? It, all it, the, it does. All, yeah, all the setbacks and failures that you have experienced uh, in life. A hundred percent. I am pleased where I am today. Yeah. I am pleased for everything I've gone through. Mm. And it's made me the person I am yeah. and no one escapes anything in, in life. And, and yes, I've had my fair share, but I'm, I've, and I also went through a bout of cancer. So, so I got through all my divorce. I got through everything and I built the brand up and, and then, um, 2012 it was, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh my goodness. Um, and my biggest fear was losing all my hair, which I did lose. It all came back. Same color. Never dyed my hair, by the way. No gray hair. They look gorgeous, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, so I went through that, and and here we are today. I'm sort of yes, the UK market leader for vintage jewelry. We're expanding into um, internationally. We are in Hong Kong, Harvey Nichols, um, China, and Japan, Plage and Beams, and. And now we're doing a collaboration with yeah, you. Amazing. What an amazing life story as well as brand story. And yeah, tell me a bit about like how Susan Kaplan, the brand came about. Because I know that you've been dealing vintage for a long time and then you, um, you, 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 you were doing vintage curation, non-branded. But when did Susan Kaplan brand itself? From an early age, I started to go around all the car boots from probably 16 and 17. And when eventually I got married at 25... I kept buying and buying and putting plates up on the wall. Nothing, it was never expensive items. I would somehow able to buy a lovely Meissen plate at a reduced price. It might've had a little nick in it, a little chip. Um, And I bought furniture and I bought glassware and I bought little odd paintings, furniture. I would actually restore my own furniture as well. I learned everything self-taught. I read every book on antiques and jewelry. um, And I actually taught myself how to restore chairs furniture do all the padding yeah, so that's I was amazing. very pleased by that um and I also obviously bought the vintage jewelry and I set up stands starting at very small antique fairs in little town halls so it was like a you know it was um it was low-key people would come in sometimes there might have only been 50 people in the whole day it's, it could have been demoralizing but we were able to sell and what sold the most was the jewelry the costume jewelry mm. So, um, 
Oh my goodness. That just gave me a deja vu because um, I used to, this is the whole backstory behind Astrid and Mew, yeah. but I used to travel a lot with my family. And whenever we traveled, my mom used to love going to markets like and vintage markets and things and she'd shift through things and it was always jewelry. And that's what made me start Astrid and Mew. And like you talking about that just like brings me back to those kind of memories. My mother would go to Bermondsey Market, buy a piece of jewelry or a piece of porcelain and show it to the person on the stand next door around the corner and say, oh, I like that. Can I buy that from you? And she would sell it there and then. Oh my God. And she wasn't, a, she wasn't actually an antique dealer. They just yeah, were yeah. enthusiasts. We, we had a lot of family in the antique trade. Yeah. My cousin is, um, is, is the world's authority on Meissen and my aunt had a shop in the Camden Passage or must have been 50, 60 years mm. and a grandma and an aunt, they were in Hatton Garden, the, the silver vaults. So I've come from that sort yeah. of a background. Um, but so how the actual brand started. So I was uh, building it up. I was doing the little fairs, um, progressing to the bigger three-day fairs in big country homes where they actually had vetters. So they would vet the jewellery, make sure if I'd put it, it was, if I'd said it was 1930s, they would make sure it was 1930s. So they they were like sort of a a judge type to make sure we were uh, uh, doing it in an authentic way. Um, And then I realised that, there was a market, there was, there was, they were missing something in the stores. I happened to be walking through John Lewis one day and they had a sign up saying secondhand jewellery and they were showing the costume jewellery and I thought, oh, mine's so much nicer than that. And um, I started, I had a meeting with them mm-hmm. and showed them all my pieces and one, two, three, they wanted me in the stores. And I think I progressed to about 15 stores. This is going back 20 odd years. Um, unbranded because at that stage I wasn't this businesswoman I am today. Um, and, and I had the, the girls were still young. So, so that for me was just enough to sort of keep me going, give me a, you know, an interest and um, keep the passion going. And then eventually I moved down to London in 2008. My, my girls had moved down. They had finished university. They moved down to London, which for me was a God save because I was a Londoner. I am a Londoner. So, um, so we went into the very first store that I went into branded was actually house of Fraser in Westfield. Mm. So then that was quite prestigious to be in the grand opening of Westfield in house of Fraser, where the vintage jewelry took over a quarter of their jewelry store. And from there, the grand opening, all the buyers came, the Harris buyers, the Harvey Nichols buyers and one, two, three, they wanted us in their stores. And that's how that part of it started. Oh, what an so, amazing story. It, 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 yes. Yeah. <laughs> and when did you, when, when do you think you became a businesswoman from there on? <sighs> Probably because starting in 2008, I didn't realize what was happening. I just knew that I loved the pieces. We had branded it. it suddenly it became, you know, it was becoming more um, popular. Yeah. And I don't think I realized I was a businesswoman until probably six years ago, five yeah. years ago. But until then, were you sustaining your life through um, selling vintage jewelry? Financially? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, I was able to. I mean, it's, I, I never had a sort of a high level of living. I never needed that. I was quite happy, you know, just, I, I never wanted for big fine things as such. As long as I can buy my nice handbags, I'm, I'm quite happy with my clothes from 20, 30 years ago, believe it or not. I mean, I still wear my coat that was given to me when, for my 21st. 
Um, oh, that's amazing. I, st- I yeah, love it. It means you're like fit as a 21 year old and it also like you're being very sustainable. Completely. I am very much into that. I very rarely buy new clothes. Um, my handbags, some of them are 30, 40 years old and they look as brand new as anything, particularly if I want to, um, if some, one of them was a little bit tatty, I had one restored at Restory, is it the Restory? Restory, is it Restory Restory, yeah. Restory, and they've made it like new and I love that handbag. So, um, so yes, it, it, I was able to, um, get a, a living from it. Yeah. Um, and, and then it just went on from pillar to post and just grew and grew. Um, and, and even on last year, our, our figures are up 30%. Last year was phenomenal, mm. unfortunately, due to COVID. Yeah. You know, everyone wanted to buy online. Mm. And I thought this year, maybe it would level out a bit, but it hasn't. We're still up on last year. Yeah, that's, so that's amazing. You know, it's really good yeah. because, because vintage... Vintage, I categorize it all under the same umbrella. Vintage, pre-loved, secondhand, it's all, it's all sustainable. Yeah, yeah. It's all part of that movement. Now, it's all part it? of this. Yeah, it's not just about the style, but it's, absolutely. The, it's about the con- conscious consumerism. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's what people are, are becoming far more socially responsible and, and environmentally conscious. Uh, and obviously, like with Astrid and you, this is our first designer collaboration collection. So f- for us, like the whole ethos and the whole whole purpose behind the brand that we partner with was so important. And this con- conscious consumerism and sustainability element was such a, you know, huge, um, you know, pull for us, aside from the fact that I love your designs and I love you. If, what was the thought process behind you and choosing Astrid and you? Well, um, I love your brand. I've always admired your brand. And when you asked me, I thought there's no better fit to fit uh, my vintage with your contemporary. Because we say, my mantra is um, our vintage, the synergy, it's a synergy between vintage and contemporary. Um, And for you to do this um, sustainability strategy, to me, that really appealed to me. Because I don't want anything more than actually helping to change people's mindset to becoming more responsible socially and environmentally. So it, it was a perfect fit for me. And I was, I was very happy you asked. Oh, that's so nice to hear. And let's go back to when we first met. Okay, you're quite right. I adore what I do. I have so much passion for what I do. When I say about I'm the businesswoman, I'm the businesswoman in the sense that I want to expand the brand and and get far more brand awareness. But to do that, one has to have a big marketing team behind them. Yeah. I've never done that. Mm. We've never invested in anything like that. And I I know I should. But I think because I've always done it on my own yeah. with no real support, Louisa did help me in the beginning because she was social media, mm. her background is social media. Yeah, so yeah. eight years ago, 12 years ago, she did certainly help a lot. And your other daughter's in social media too. She's, a, she's an influencer, isn't she? Gemma is an yeah. influencer. She is, this is mothership. Yeah. Um, and my other daughter, Rachel, they're all very creative. She mm. is the content director of Estee Lauder. Oh, wow. So they're, so all, they're all in content. Like they're all in content. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Why do you think that is? I don't know because their father's a lawyer. Mm. So I suppose, and I'm very creative. Yeah. So I presume they got it from you, from me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I was always very, um, 
you know, fashion conscious mm. and I love nice things. Yeah. Um, and I, yes, maybe that was it. And I used to drag them to the auctions when I was younger. <laughs> not that, And they do like, certainly they love old vintage things. Yeah. You know, they don't like anything that's brand new and modern and, you know, unless it's very different and it's a, a good designer and, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive or anything. And my mother was very much into nice, wearing nice clothes and looking yeah. smart and, and yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to how this collaboration all started for our listeners. So for me, like I'll, I'll tell you more, like I'll tell you the full background of how it started from my side. So actually at end of 2020, we sort of went through a whole strategy piece with the leadership team. And I actually mentioned Susan Kaplan when we're talking about sustainability and that was on my, um, conceptual vision board. I really wanted to work with you. And then I happened to meet Dom, who's your son-in-law. And we just, we met for something else, another agenda. And then at the end of the conversation, he was like, oh, by the way, like my mother-in-law is Susan Kaplan. I was like, what? (laughs) I couldn't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, he told me that you wanted to work with this. And I was like, what? That's like my dream come true. I had her on my vision board. So I felt like it was meant to be at that time when Dom talked about you. That's what I'm a believer in. And when he did tell me, I said, yes, absolutely. You know, where do we go from here? And then, and then the emails came, but, um, meant to be that's, that's, I believe in that so much. Things are meant to be. It was not a coincidence. It was to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It was to happen that you, you yeah, this one for sure, because you were talking about us and I was talking about you at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. And how did Astrid and you come about? Like, were you talking to your team? Were you talking to different people about it? Like, Uh, when did you start thinking about the collaboration? Because we all, you know, I obviously being in the jewellery business, I like to look at other brands. Normally I'm looking at vintage jewellery, but there's no one that matches up to us anyway. Um, <laughs> and I'm not just saying that. I mean, I, I no, see I that. Agree. I can see that. Um, they want to, you know, cause you can see the things that they're taking snippets yeah. off and whether it's a website or whatever, you know, but, um, and, and there's so many brands out there, so many jewelry brands mm. out there, but yours always stood out. Um, because it, I like the designs. It was very much simple, which I love and very clean, very classic and versatile. So, and, you know, and then I started reading up a little bit about it, reading up about you. And I just felt this seems to be a right fit. So when all this happened, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think at the time I said, this seems to be a good marriage between Astrid and Mew and Susan Kaplan, vintage and contemporary. Yeah, absolutely. And it just happened so organically, so easily and so quickly as well, didn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it was just such an easy collaboration between the two brands. And your team it has just been, to me, I just was so um, impressed by how they, Aww. how the passion that they, they had put in and, and the hard work and the efficiency and how everything just seemed to flow so nicely. There never seemed to be any hiccups and it, and it just, it felt so right. Yeah. 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 It helps that they were so passionate about the designs. Yes. Yeah. Yes. From your collection. Yes. And I think like everyone loves your brand and, you know, we're now speaking to press and influencers and everyone's so bought into this whole e- like ethos collaboration as well as the designs, which really helps. Yes. I mean, that's it's a way forward really to have, um, to be sustainable. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think what you're doing will drive other brands 
to think more consciously as well. Yeah, so that's I think a, so a as wonderful well. yeah, thing yeah, that, yeah. that you're paving, paving the way for. Susan, let's talk about the collection. Which one's your personal favorite? It's a hard choice, but I think I would have to go with the more bolder, chunkier pieces, mm. like the double link bracelet. But I also do love the toggle necklace just because I yes. feel like they're slightly daintier and I can layer them with our existing Astrid Mio pieces. Absolutely. The yeah. toggle is great and the history behind it is good. What's the history behind it? The toggle, it was originally, um, toggles were introduced in the 1900s. Oh, wow. And because the gentlemen, um, when they were wearing their uh, pocket watches, the toggle was at the end of the chain of the where the pocket watch was on one end, the toggle was at the other end. The oh. toggle would go through the buttonhole to secure oh, the yeah, pocket watch. Yeah. Um, the pocket watch would sit in yeah. the, the gentleman's suit pocket and the rest of the chain would loop down and be secure. That's so interesting. And when did they evolve into necklaces or like bracelets? I think that probably happened... Um, it started evolving. Many people, even the Victorians would sort of, or maybe the twenties, that's after the Victorian period, they would sort of maybe have the remains, the chain would remain because the watch might have got broken or got um, lost. So they would convert that into a, a necklace because they still had the toggle, they still had the chain yeah. and they would um, clasp it together. Oh, that's so and, interesting. Yeah. And then it just really continued right through and it's made a huge comeback um, well, it was never away, but it's it's been completely um, reinvigorated. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. Now I'm going to talk about the toggle history all the time, <laughs> wherever I go. I'll sound really smart. <laughs> um, so you're, you like the toggle. I do like the toggle very much because mm. I love the fact that you can layer it. I like the chunky ones as well. I actually love the double chain necklace as well because it's... Um, you know, I actually yes. didn't realize that it was a double chain necklace, but you get like two in one. It's really nice and super efficient. You Very. don't need to think about layering. Absolutely. And the great thing about some of these is you can wear them as a bracelet yeah. you can wrap them around. Mm. And maybe sometimes for a certain dress, maybe you could put it on the back, you know, yeah, the yeah. toggle at the back. Yeah, or, yeah. You know, they're so they're versatile really good idea. and easy yeah. to wear. Um, I'm more of a silver person, so I actually do love the silver, um, the silver bracelets, the heavy bracelets. I'll tell you a little bit about the Figaro chain as well, with the toggle. So the Figaro chain got its name from actually the Italian chain makers, mm. and I think probably the 18th, 19th century. Yeah. Um, and they decided to call it Figaro. This is how the story goes, because of the two famous operas, one, The Marriage of Figaro and The Barber of Seville, because two of their main the, each character, the main character in them was called Figaro. So they decided because they were making this chain, they wanted to call it Figaro. It's quite a nice story. Yeah, and it's a, a really good story. And a Figaro chain is normally two, one, two or three links um, followed by a different star link. Yeah. And that's how you can sort of tell yeah, yeah. the Figaro chain. Yeah. Another thing I love about this collection is that every single piece has a really interesting story and history behind Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, you've got the curb chain. That's, I, I love the curb chain as, I love the curb chain as well because it's chunky and the curb chain was very much part of the Victorian times. Mm -hmm. I think another name for it was called Cuban. Cuban chain. Well, the, the curb chain, yes, it, there was a sort of a derivative of that word and they 
would call it Cuban. Not many people know about that, but that's, yes, Cuban chain. And the, the Cuban chain or the curb chain is literally interlocking links, all identical. That's what, how you would know it's a curb chain. Oh, really interesting. And then the heart obviously is, yeah, everyone I love loves the heart. a heart. Yeah, I love the heart. It reminds me of when I was in high school. I used to have oh. something like that in silver. Oh, and you haven't got it anymore? No, no, I lost oh. it. Oh. So I'll get that back through this collection. Mm. Yeah. And um, I mean, like, obviously, as I mentioned, sustainability is such a huge um, driver of the brand going forward for us. So we have our packaging 100% recycled, recyclable, and we're aiming to make all our pieces um, through recycled metals by the end of 2023. And um, we have a lot of initiatives and sustainability could be such a huge topic, but I I just want to hear from your point of view, what your philosophy is and what, what your thought process is behind sustainability? Um, my thought process behind it, I think, I think it's vital that we all become more conscious um, of our planet, um, socially conscious and, and environmentally conscious as well. Uh, I, we have to change our mindsets because if we don't, it, it, you know, it's, it's going to affect all of us. Um, so, so my, my, when I started vintage, I never thought, I never thought 20, that's not 20 years ago, 40 years ago. I never thought that vintage is important to buy because it will preserve our planet. I just thought it's important to buy because it's individual and it's different and it's yeah. got history and it tells a story. But but suddenly, you know, I think it probably happened about the sustainability part of it probably became really big about two, three years ago. Yeah. And it's reached, it's heightened now. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's something that everyone has to conform to. Everyone has to do their bit yeah. um, to, to help the environment. And, and people are changing and what you're doing is, is phenomenal. You know, it's, it's really, it's, it's wonderful. And, and just the drive and how it will help other people drive their initiative forward yeah, as well. It's so imminent, isn't it? Saving the planet. And I feel like with the Gen Z audiences, like so, uh, some of which are our customers are yes. so deeply ingrained in it. And Absolutely. so passionate about it. Like if there's no, um, you know, sustainability element. They just don't want to buy from brands. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's, that's definitely, I mean, there's no question about that. It, it, it is that they are, they are the conscious ones very much. So, I mean, they talk it, breathe it, protest about it, mm. you know, yeah. and it's so real for them. Absolutely. It's their, yes, it's for their future. Mm. You know, that's their, um, yes, it's, it's, it's the be all and end all for them. They, 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 they are very, very conscious of, of being socially responsible now. Yeah. And wow, wow, you've been in the jewelry slash vintage industry for 40 years. Wow. I've been in the industry for 10 years now. And even during the 10 years, like it's changed so much, the landscape. So what have you observed in the last 40 years? Um, what, get, what's been the biggest change? Well, I'm going to tell you something. In your 10 years you've done it, you have achieved so much. Oh, thank you. It's, it's marvelous what you have achieved reading all about you. Oh, thank you so much. 
Um, the landscape, the biggest landscape is the sustainable part of it. It's, uh, that's what's predominant now. That's what people, uh, there's, there's sort of different types of people. You've got the, the people that want to buy it because it's vintage, because they love the fact that mm. there's a piece of history to it and that it's different and it's limited. Um, and then you've got the other people that do not want to buy fast fashion anymore and they want to buy something that is old. Yeah. Um, so that's really um, the change. What I was buying 40 years ago, necklaces and pieces, believe it or not, I'm still buying that same style now. Um, I, I have a very eclectic mix of pieces in, in our collection. And I've, I've been sort of buying, building up um, and putting together collections for retailers and brands, um, curating them for all those years. And, and it's not really changed what they're looking for. 40 years ago, I might've been buying a Christian Dior necklace or a Chanel. I'm still buying that necklace. Yeah. 40 years ago, I was buying chains. I loved all the chains. I mean, chains, it might, they might have been, there might be a trend now on the catwalk in the past two, three years, but actually chains have been in since ancient times, since 2,500 BC, yeah. you know, chains, chains, tongue twister, chains symbolized eternity. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Eternity? Yeah, I learned something Because there's, it's, there's no beginning and no end. Yeah. So it, it's, it symbolizes eternity and eternal love. Mm, eternal love. That's amazing. It's such yes. a great story. Um, so I've always been, um, so, so I don't think, I can't say that what I've been buying changes. Um, what I find I buy seems to always come about as a trend. Yeah. Like I've had these chains and not these particular ones, obviously, but similar chains. I've always bought um, chunky jewelry. I love, I've always bought that, but I've also bought the delicate jewelry, mm. but the chains, you know, I was buying and buying many years ago and, and always having them and always selling. And then suddenly it's become, yeah, everyone wants chains. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and hopefully it's here to stay and I think it will be. Yeah. What do you think would be the next big trend that was a trend in the past? Oh, that's difficult because everything is reproduced in some way, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because Every... things come back, trend always totally. comes back and you've seen it for the last four Absolutely. years. Absolutely. There's always an interpretation of something yeah. that was um, produced years ago. Um, what do I think might come back that's... Um, I would like to see a return of more, maybe Bakelite or resin jewelry. Mm. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing more of that in the market. Yes, right now. yeah, um, because it's different. Yeah, um, they called it lucite actually. Um, some people will say plastic, but lucite is sort of a nice name. And they they did yeah. funky necklaces, funky earrings big bangles, yeah. masses of those coloured Bakelite. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was Bakelite yeah. bangles. I think I'd like to see a return of that. Yeah. That would um, be really fun. Yes. Okay. Fun. Yeah. 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 Quirky, edgy pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And what's your personal jewellery style? I love chunky chains. Yeah. I just, I, I, I can, I could never wear something that was fine. It's just not me. Um, I mean, the only reason I'm wearing this, ne this, necklace without earrings is because it would be too much. I mm. put them on this morning. I thought, Oh my God, I, it's yeah. overload. But, um, if I wasn't wearing this, I would wear my big, I never wear earrings that are, um, shorter than sort of 
three, four inches in length. <laughs> and I've got a pair, brought them here that actually yeah, I love touch my yeah. shoulders. Yeah. I door love knockers. them. <laughs> and the door knockers. I love yeah. anything big, bold statement. Yeah. And would you layer them up or would you wear them as single pieces? On my ears, the earrings. Yeah, like, earrings or necklaces. Well, or the hole that I had produced or the two or three holes have closed up, so I can't layer those up. Mm. <laughs> but necklaces, would I layer them up? Not particularly. I Because I because if it's a chunky chain, unless it's the, the, the these chains that yeah. we have in the collection, um, I would layer those up. But if it's a chunky uh, collar like this, no, I, I couldn't do it. I love collars as well. Yeah. I love bold collars. And I know that your personal style is very monotone and simple. Is that because you want to accentuate the jewelry? Absolutely. Yeah. I think jewelry sense. is the finishing touch to an outfit. Yeah, I completely the, agree. The accessories are vital. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm biased. But of like course, we're, we're biased, so am I. obviously. But, yeah. <laughs> but I believe it. I, I think that you can put on a pair of scrappy jeans with a. a inexpensive t-shirt and you put on that fabulous jewelry that's yeah. going to get noticed more than anything yeah 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 so you are an inspiration to me personally i've admired you in the industry for ages before we even met um so this is a dream come true for me uh, so how do you um i guess get inspired yourself as such a like mogul in the industry First of all, um, what you just said to me, I feel very honoured to be here. can't remember if I said that already. Um, I, I feel it, it's, you know, what you're saying that you feel, you know, inspired. I'm an inspiration. I, I, I feel the same about you. So, so we're quits. <laughs> um, what's my inspiration? Yeah, where do you get your inspiration? I'll tell you, it's very simple. Instinct. Mm. I, if I like something, if I love something, I will buy it. Yeah. I know instantly. Um, I don't go by, I don't follow anything. I just, I just, when I see something I like, I buy it. So I'm very, um, I'm very instinctive yeah. in that respect. Um, I go by a feel. Um, yeah, it's, it's simple. Yeah. I guess that's what makes such an amazing brand because it's got your intuition and feeling and, Absolutely. you know, your creative energy and all, everything that yes. you do. And you said it, intuition. I am very intuitive. I, with everything in life. And, and if my gut tells me to go and buy something, I will buy it. If I'm reserved about, I'm actually never reserved. I either say, no, it's not for me or yes, I want it. Mm. Yes. Very interesting. <laughs> Um, and what would you, uh, obviously a lot of our listeners and customers are in their late twenties or early thirties. What would you tell your 30 year old self if you were to go back in time? What would I tell my 30 year old self? Yeah, what advice uh, would you give your 30 year old self knowing what you know now? Go slower. <laughs> <laughs> what would I tell my 30 year old self? What I know now, that's a difficult one because I, I love the path I've taken. Yeah. Even though I've had mishaps, mm. I, I don't want to go back there. I love where I am now. I, I love the fact that I've still got my future ahead that can, I can do anything I want to do. And I'm not talking about in the financial sense, you know, I can take what I want, drop what I want, say what I want, yeah. you know, within reason. Um, so I, my, what would I have told my 30 year old? I don't know. Yeah. 
What would you have told your, you're, you're probably only 30 now. No, I'm 41. <laughs> my, what would I tell my 20 year old self? Like I would probably tell that person to um, back herself and don't try to please too many people. That's what I tell her. Well, you're quite right. I did spend a lot of time pleasing people. Yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the main things that maybe I, did I do wrong? I don't know because I wanted to please people. Mm. Yeah, I guess in a way at that time, you benchmark yourself against other people and also like learn through pleasing other people in a way, right? So yes. I guess it's a difficult yeah, one. I, I mean, yeah. I've always wanted to please and I want to... I, I think I, 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 I won't say I expect the same back. I, I just, that was just me, my nature. I mm. wanted to please. It was satisfying to me. Maybe it was a need I, you know, a, a need I was needing, but, um, yeah. Um, you say back yourself. I've never wanted to be involved with too many people. I mean, I wouldn't have minded of having to find a partner as in a business partner, um, that had the same, ethos as me, but that was going to be really hard. I, I, um, I, I just, I'm a person that I think I've learned to cope on my own and I've coped on my own and, and I'm glad I did it the way I've done it. I, I really am. But everything just probably comes together and then it, it all synthesizes and comes out in a different way, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Finally, do you have any mantras or affirmations that you tell yourself? Don't sweat the small stuff. Very good. Good one. Um, success in life is not the absence of problems. It's how you deal with them. I love that. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you so much for your story and inspiration. I feel so pumped up and inspired. I'm, I'm so excited about this collection and our collaboration. Thank you. I've really enjoyed sitting here and chatting to you. Me too. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you feel inspired. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you like, subscribe, and leave a review. And remember to join us over at Astrid and You on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook for more source of inspiration.